My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. For the past three weeks, we have been focused, laser-focused, on the beautiful theology of grace that Paul systematically lays out in the book of Romans. One of the characteristics of Paul's letters, all of them, is that they tend to be rich with theology. Like that ice cream that you eat too late on a Saturday night, it can leave your stomach feeling overly full in the morning. Now you have to know, I'm a theology nerd through and through. I have many leather-bound books in my office, Smells of Rich Mahogany. That was an Anchorman reference if you, if you didn't get that. I have books that I read every year at the same time, every year to help keep my mind focused on, one, on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ while the church calendar and its busyness try to suck me into the hairball that it is and spit me back out. And that's why I love Paul's systematic theology. But when we read Romans, it can be easy to find ourselves in the weeds before we know it. And our reading this morning is a perfect example of how that can happen. Over 14 verses, Paul lays out three different things. Four, really, debt, adoption, the spirit life, and hope. And the theologian in me naturally wants to unpack at least two of those before you're dismissed from worship to go to brunch. But in doing that, in focusing solely on Paul's theology, I run the risk of telling you about grace instead of inviting you to experience it for yourself. Rather than inviting you to see where God's grace is already at work in your life and in the life of Walker Chapel. Paul begins with deep theology, but then he leaves us this morning with hope. St. Paul states that through the grace of God, we, all of creation, has hope. And hope, I'm guessing, is a good thing for us to have, because hope is a theme that's laced chapter after chapter through our Holy Scriptures You can turn back to Exodus 1 through 15 if you'd like. That's the story of of Israel's hope for the Lord to deliver them from captivity in Egypt. You see, the Israelites were on this journey from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. And their hope was personified best in their deliverance and through the faithfulness of God as they crossed through the Red Sea. The prophet Isaiah had hope. In the dream that Isaiah saw, he wrote this, The wolf shall, shall lie down with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling and the little child shall lead them. I don't know what the fatling is that Isaiah is referring to in that dream, but I have to imagine the fatling would have been eaten by the lion. So to have them laying next to one another gives us hope. We have the restoration of of all of creation, a return to Eden-like conditions in every nook and cranny of the universe. Jesus' own teachings are full of hope. There's the parable of the prodigal son. 
The son, oldest son, or the younger son, demands his inheritance from his father. And in declaring that inheritance is declaring his father to be dead. The son leaves, spends all of the money, and comes back. And Jesus tells us through this parable that there's hope and forgiveness and reconciliation through God's boundless love and grace. That's for each of us, no matter how far we've strayed. And then there's like the easy story of hope in the Bible, you know, like the resurrection, Easter. It's more than a story of lilies and extra special music on Sunday mornings because the hope that we have in the resurrection is the cornerstone for the Christian life. It's the linchpin that holds all of this together. So we have hope for ourselves, hope for creation, hope for this community, hope for the church. Yet hope's not a word that's frequently used in our home life or even our work life. You can color me guilty. As a pastor, sadly, hope is a word that I do not frequently use. I've been thinking about my time with you all over the past three weeks in our coffee conversations or uh, over a glass of tea in, in your home or here in the church office. And, or even just reading the Washington Post on Saturday, or not Saturday morning. I try to read it every morning, but, you know, life happens. A few years ago, a pastor friend of mine, he said, Tier, how do you feel about the state of the church, about the future of the United Methodist Church? And I told this friend, this pastor friend of mine, that I was cautiously optimistic. And saying cautiously optimistic, I was giving myself space so that I wouldn't be too disappointed if this thing all went off the rails. Or so that I could say, well, I told you so. I was cautiously optimistic because the United Methodist Church, like every other church in our country, faces declining memberships, financial worries, giving is down, cost of everything is up. There's a perceived lack of relevancy in many church communities. So cautious optimism sounded like a good choice. But all of us do this. It's not just your pastor or pastors in general. We guard our expectations because we don't like to have disappointment. There was a Pew Research study done last April, a few months ago, and it confirms this. This research study found that one in three Americans, so if you look to your left, well, except for Chris because there's a wall. If you look to your left, and then you look to your right, and then look at yourself, one in three of those people, one in three of those people lacks confidence in the future, confidence in what's to come. That's lacking confidence. That's not even being cautiously optimistic. This pastor friend of mine who asked me about how I felt about the future of the church, he was pretty disturbed. He was upset with my cautious optimism. Tear, he said, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. It happened at your baptism. You may not have remembered that. Oh, and Siri has something to say on the situation. He said, Tear, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. It happened at your baptism. And it continues every day. Every day you wake up, here and you put your feet on the ground, and you take that breath in. That's the Holy Spirit entering your body and sending you forth to do whatever God has in store for you. And he said, Tear, the church is filled with the Holy Spirit too. 
So Terry, you can keep your optimism. I don't want to hear about it, but I want you to hold on to hope. For in hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we have hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The problem with optimism, whether it's just the regular old optimism or cautious optimism, is that optimism relies on us clinging to the myth that creation, us, that through progress we can course correct and end the ways in which we inflict harm on ourselves and one another. Because optimism is always focused on our actions, what we are doing or what we could do better, while hope, hope looks towards the one in whose image each of us was made. I don't want you to get me wrong. Optimism is a good thing to have. Optimism helps us keep positive attitudes as we do the things that we should do and we try to undo the things that we knew that we shouldn't have done to begin with. But hope makes us look one step farther. Hope looks to the writing of all things. The things that we can't undo that we've already done as well as the things that we've left undone. The language Paul uses in Romans, while laced with rich theology, and these themes are one after another, and it can feel overwhelming, but all of these different themes are rooted in hope. And God's hope is rooted in God's grace. So while the world around us may feel as though it's coming apart at the seams, and while the the themes of the Bible may be overwhelming and more than we can take in. Maybe it feels like out-of-touch noise just shouting out into the world. The hope of God cuts through all of that. The hope of God cuts through the noise. St. Paul is reminding the church, that's us, Christ's body, that we are a body of hope because each of us is filled with the Holy Spirit It happened at your baptism. It happens day after day after day. When you woke up this morning, you put your feet on the ground, and you took that first breath of the day. That's the Holy Spirit entering your body, preparing to send you out into the world. And we get to be part of God's hope through God's faithfulness. Maybe it's in worship here on Sunday morning. Maybe it's through mission here in Arlington or beyond. Or maybe it's in the way that we care for one another or care for people within our community. We are part of the hope that's being brought forth into the world. That's why what we do on Sunday morning matters. That's why this one-hour exercise, week after week, where we proclaim the same old song, God loves you just as you are right now, whether you like it or not. That's why this matters. Because the world is selling optimism. But what the church proclaims is hope. We proclaim hope because we don't know what else to proclaim. Over the past three weeks, I've met with you all over coffee, iced tea. Some of those meetings were back to back to back, which was a really bad idea when you're drinking coffee. (laughs) We've met at Compass Coffee on Langston. We've met in your homes. We've met here at the church. And I've heard story after story about why Walker Chapel matters to you, to your family, and to Arlington. 
But more importantly, I've heard about how Walker Chapel is working toward transforming the world through hope rooted in God's grace. From community events and missional efforts to the things like Sunday school, which are happening right now below our feet. Walker Chapel has been, is today, and will be tomorrow a community for children and people of all stripes all throughout our community. Because this church has been a pillar of our community, stationed at the corner of Glebe and Glebe for 150 years. Throughout our conversations, though, there have been laments over how the chapel has, has changed over the years along with how the congregation has shifted depending on what was happening within the congregation or within the world around us. And there have been laments about how a pandemic that none of us could control amplified all of those changes, forcing us out of our comfort zones, even out of our favorite pews and into the unknown. I've seen pictures of celebrations in the Fellowship Hall. I've seen pictures of this room jam-packed, and it wasn't even a Christmas Eve service. And you've told me, and I've seen where we once were, and now we all know the task that is before us. It would be easy. It would be extremely easy for all of us to stand here and say that we are cautiously optimistic about the future, about our own future, but about the future of the church, because that would protect us from all of the unknowns that we have no control over. But this week and last week and the week before, I didn't hear cautious optimism. I heard hope in your voices, because our hope is rooted in the not yet accomplished work of God here in Arlington and beyond. And that's the same hope that was present when 150 plus years ago, this congregation set up shop on Glebe Road. The first people to worship at this site and then in the various forms in which this congregation has taken shape over the years may have never dreamed of where Walker Chapel would be today. A preschool. A preschool that is ministering to and caring for families in Arlington, Virginia. A congregation that is committed to sharing God's grace with the world, not just Arlington. A good-looking pastor who joined you three weeks ago. (laughs) And endless opportunities to be in mission and ministry with the churches around us, but more importantly, with the world around us. Like the first people to worship in this space years ago, like the generations before us, we have hope for what is not yet seen because of the grace of God. Friends, grace is not about finishing Grace is about beginning. Grace is not about excuses for why things are the way they are. Grace is about newness, new life, new life together in community through Christ. Grace is not about what we do as a community or individuals, but rather grace is about what God is doing and what God has done. Grace produces hope because God is at work. And our hope is in the faithfulness of God. The hope of God is bringing about restoration to all of creation. And by God's grace, our hope does not rest in what we do or what we leave undone. Instead, our hope is found in what God is doing, what God has done 
in Christ Jesus. Because our hope rests in Christ's faithfulness. We have reason, all of us, to cast our optimism aside and to hold on to hope. Whenever we feel that we have reason to doubt, God offers us an invitation to touch, to taste, and to see. Through things like the waters of our baptism, through bread and through wine, and through the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, the hope of the world reveals to us that God is not done with us. Our hope rests in God, in God's unchanging and unwavering grace. Amen.